You are now listening to the Ghost Squawk Experience, episode number nine, with your host, Daniel Kovacs and Chin Doan. Every week, we bring on special guests to discuss issues pertaining to finance and broader topics impacting society today. Tonight's special guest is Invest Noir. Noir has been in crypto since 2014 and has a unique long-term view of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Every week, Noir does his part to spread the mass adoption of cryptocurrency and technology to the ordinary investors on his own podcast called Cigars and Cryptos. It's like, you know, maybe you could help us out because just to, to kind of start off with uh, one of your favorite topics anyway, we, we're just looking for advice. Like if you're a noob to cigars, like where would you even get started? Okay. Yeah, that's actually a well, good question. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, I think it's important that you visit resources that have good information, unbiased information. Okay. So go to cigars.com to start, right? Okay. They have a lot of articles in their blog uh, that'll teach you how to get started, the types of tools that you'll need to participate uh, in the cigar experience. Um, me personally, I purchase most of my cigars uh, from my local, br- local brick and mortar stores here. And I also buy online at famoussmoke.com. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, definitely find out how to get involved by reading blogs, uh, specifically the blogs that are on cigar.com or Famous Smoke. Um, then you'll need a toolkit. So me personally, I prefer V-Cut um, tools. It's a V-Cut Calibri cutter, and it mm. cuts a deep V-shaped groove into my cigar. Ah. I will... Uh, Tonight, I am smoking the Cohiba Siglo 6. It's a Cuban Puro. I pulled this out just for the show. Nice. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. So uh, take uh, a guillotine mechanism. So you Uh hold your cigar level with the cutter. And then you quickly press down. And then it adds a very deep V-shaped groove. Okay. That allows you to oh. uh, draw from the cigar, <clears throat> as, as opposed to the, as opposed to the the one where it's basically just a full guillotine and it just uh, cuts it right off. Right. Okay. Right. So you have guillotines, you have punches, and then you have V cutters, and I prefer V cutters. Okay. Um, well, it depends. If it's a large ring gauge cigar, so if it's like really big, then I may go with a punch. Uh-huh. For the most part, I prefer a V cut for my cigar. Yeah. Now, now right. what's what's the difference between a punch and a V shape? Well, the punch is like a hole. It's like a, yeah. a hole that you would punch right in the top. Um, so the orifice is smaller, um, but it still gives you a good quality smoke, a good draw. But uh, I like a big, big plume, big clouds when I mm-hmm. smoke cigars. So I always tend to go with the V cut uh, for all of my cigars. Oh, so interesting. Now that I have my cigar cut, <clears throat> it's ready to be smoked. I'm going to take my torch and I'm going to gently toast the end mm-hmm. without scorching the sides. Okay. Wow, what a ritual. Man. Mm-hmm. 
Now that's good. Wow. I'm ready now. Man. I'm ready. Let's get it cracking, baby. Now, right. <laughs> now, now Noir, just I'm gonna sound like very amateurish here, but to my knowledge, unlike cigarette smoking, you're not supposed to inhale the cigar smoke when you smoke it. Is that is that true? Okay. Um well some people say that you shouldn't. The rule is that you draw it into your mouth and you blow it out. Um, but I retrohale frequently. So I'll draw, I'll take a big draw. I'll blow out 60 to 70, 70% of the smoke. I inhale a small amount and then I blow the rest through my nose to allow the smoke to pass uh, over all through the nasal the, cavity. Uh, so you right, get that, that, that aeration flavor. Oh, That's wow. You know, Brilliant. It's flavor like, percept, you know, receptors yeah. in the back of your tongue. It's like wine tasting when you kind of do that. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Wow. Thanks for clarifying that. Cause like, I'm, I'm not big into cigar smoking myself, but man, I, I guess after this episode, I got to get some cigars. Yeah. <laughs> Light one up with your boy, man. It's all good. Yeah, hey, hey, sure, definitely, sure. definitely. Just just an FYI, we're gonna be coming on your show. Um, I yes. believe it's gonna be next week, uh, yes. if I'm not mistaken. So uh yeah, maybe I I should probably go to like my local cigar shop here and try to pick something we'll, up. We'll 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 make sure that we stock up before then. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, wait a minute. You're north of the border, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm north. I'm, oh I'm man, you can Montreal. grab Cubans. You can yes. grab Cubans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bro, we, go go uh, to Kanawaki, uh, where where I used to live. Remember, Jen? Yeah, yeah. In Kanawaki, yeah. they have them for real cheap. Oh, okay, okay, nice. Yeah, nice. Kanawaki. For those of you guys who don't know, it's an Indian reservation, and they, there's extraordinary uh, tax benefits that they have uh, in Canada. You could basically get your gas tax free. Uh, restaurants are tax free. Everything's just cheaper there, and because it's cheaper, you have um, a lot of business coming in. So all the best waiters actually go to these Indian reservations because. It's not taxed, right? So there's a lot of competition uh, between them to have good service. And uh, that's where you can find a lot of really good cigars. They make their own wine and stuff like that. So um, if, if you're in the Montreal area, uh, you, know, you might want to check out Kanawaki. Oh, awesome. So, so um, Noir, how, how did you get into cigar smoking yourself? Because on, on, your, on your website, you, you did say that like you um, – like a while back, like you, you visited like a cigar lounge and then you kind of got hooked onto it or – yeah, I um, I had a neighbor who lived next door to me, and uh, he and I weren't necessarily on the best terms, but his wife was really cool, and so I would speak to her every time I saw her. Hey, how you doing? You guys okay? And then one day, uh, you know, the husband comes outside and he says, "We're neighbors," and my wife says, "I need to be nice to you." <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, well, <laughs> fine, great." He said, "Well, you know." I'm getting ready to go somewhere, man. Why don't you get in the car? Come with me. And so I'm kind of looking at this. Sounds like a mafia boss. (laughs) Right. I'm like, yeah, what's your angle, bro? That's very, very forward uh, there. Get in the car with me. (laughs) You know? And so uh, he takes me to the cigar lounge. And uh, I think the first cigar I smoked was uh, uh, champagne, a Pradermo champagne. And I had a Florida Fina that day as well. And we sat there for about four hours and we got hammered (laughs) drinking the whole time. And after that four hours, I actually liked my neighbor (laughs) and I came away with a new hobby. My wife calls it a habit, but for me, it's a hobby. Yeah, there you go. 
Exactly. Like uh, mine says something similar about my drinking, but hey, this is craft brew, man. It's a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, won't you tell us how you got into cryptos? Well, 2014, I was uh, traveling back and forth from Atlanta to San Diego. And uh, I happened to be online paying for some tickets. <clears throat> and one of the payment options said BTC or Bitcoin. So I was like, well, what is this? And I uh, didn't think much of it after that. I said, well, you know, when I get to you know San Diego, I'll look it up. And so I uh, flew to San Diego. I was there for a couple of days and I was going to book my flight back for the next week. And I'm on the same website and it says paying BTC. And I'm like, hmm. Hmm. So I'm looking up what is BTC. Then it said Bitcoin. Then I said, well, what is Bitcoin? And then it pointed me to a Reddit site. And then it pointed me to a site where I could read the white paper. <clears throat> and so I went to Reddit and I saw what people were talking about. I downloaded the white paper and I read the white paper. And then I fell down a rabbit hole. So uh, <laughs> I immediately went out. I think I dropped like two grand and I bought an Antminer S1. It tells you how long I've been in the game. Yeah. And uh, I bought an S1. Classic. Right. I plugged it up. I bought a couple of uh, grid seeds and I bought uh, some Butterfly Lab uh, 38 giga hash boxes. And I plugged all of this stuff up in the room and I just let it run. Um, fast forward a year, the difficulty rating increased and my rigs weren't as profitable as they were. So I let it run for a few more months and then I just shut it off and, you know, kind of forgot about it. Well, Early March of 2017, I was listening to the radio on the way to work and they were talking about it and I'm seeing it on TV now and I'm seeing news articles about Bitcoin. I'm like, yo, I have some of that. And so that's when I went and I found my password for uh, blockchain.info. And I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> <Whoops>. okay, right. <laughs> you Look know? at this. Right. It's, that's like, a okay. surprise. Right. You know? <laughs> And so uh, I quickly, you know, went back to Reddit, started looking up different things uh, uh, about Bitcoin and started finding communities about Bitcoin. And that's how I fell into crypto Twitter in March of 2017. Yeah. So I, I, I real quick for everybody that's watching, I got a chart of Bitcoin here. So back in 2014, Bitcoin was at like 100 bucks, 150, 160 bucks a coin. <laughs> so yeah, that, it, it, it was it was sub 100 in those days. Yeah. Yeah, so that, was, that was pretty crazy. Was yeah, awesome. I remember I, I read the original white paper in 2008. And what struck me was not just uh, its use as a currency, but just the nature of blockchain in general. I was like, wow, this is something that's going to be really revolutionary, right? right? And I don't think, unfortunately, it still hasn't been so widely adopted. I'm not really sure why, because like, if you're an insurance company or something like that, you know, you don't want people tampering with your records, or if they do, you would want to make an uh, amendment to it, um, rather than to actually go and change that. And I know some of them are, are more intelligent about how they do things. But I just thought that it was a really useful technology. And I started um, back in those days, I was doing a lot of AI research. So I had these graphics cards, you know, it's like, GTX three GTX four uh, 465s which back in those days, it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> so I was doing like neural networks and cool stuff like that. So I was like, man, I'm on this thing. And I just, you know, back in those days, the software, it wasn't reliable. And, you know, it was just, it was just hell to get it set up on my Linux rig. So I kind of like, you know, got distracted by other projects, you know, retarded a dollar store type of thing. And so 
Um, I, I wish I would have stuck through, but you know, eventually we did start to trade it. I, I started getting back into it around probably around the same time you did, maybe 2015 or so, 2016. And I got my Coinbase account. I started loading up on Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and then that, that later uh, eventually became the fund that we, we had. That's cool, man. So, you know, it's, it's good to hear. It's good to hear people talk about how they got into the space. Everyone has their own uh, uh, path to on-ramping into crypto, but yeah. it's great how those different paths all lead to the same road. Correct. You know what I mean? And yeah. you, you, you talked about uh, you don't understand why adoption hasn't occurred uh, yeah. as quickly. And Correct. I have a, I have my opinion on why that has happened. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that cryptocurrencies were marketed by developers. Mm -hmm. They were marketed by uh, anarchists. They were marketed by uh, alternative economic theorists. Right. And they were marketed to people. And because a lot of people don't understand the value of Austrian economics or the benefits of blockchain technology or the necessity to have faster transactions per second, kind of went over people's head. Mm -hmm. And I think adoption will come when we stop talking to people and we start reaching out to businesses. Mm -hmm. People don't have a reason to use crypto if they're not incentivized to use crypto. There has to be a reason for them to use it. So if you're talking to someone and say, oh, yeah, this is sound money, they don't care about that. But if they walk into a store and they realize that they could get 5% off of their purchase because that retailer doesn't have to pay that 2.75% transaction fee plus 30 cents, right? then it's, oh, okay, well, I could save a couple of dollars if I come in here. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but let's say you're going to buy a car. That adds up. Right. Let's say you're going to buy a washer and dryer. That adds up. Yeah. And so people would be incentivized to use it if businesses incentivized them to use it. Yeah, that's a very interesting take. Um, and, and I actually do like that, um, that that seems to be a theme of your show is getting that uh, adoption started. In fact, uh, we, Chen and I actually had a, a conversation with your contact about uh, integrating his uh, payment system into our website uh, so that users can um, you know, pay with crypto. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that reference. No problem. That's the incentive. That's how we incentivize people to use it. Right. We give them a reason. And I hope that works out well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks again. And um, another thing I wanted to mention was, um, you know, that I remember when I, you know, to take a step back, I was um, when I was trading Bitcoin and I was I was transferring it back and forth between you know accounts that we had or whatever. You know, sometimes the transfer of, of Bitcoin, you know, would take up to twenty four hours, right? And Ethereum would be like an hour. You know, Bitcoin Cash would be like uh, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, Litecoin always transferred instantaneously uh, for me. So that's why I really was an advocate of Litecoin, because at the time, I believe that the, the thing that could actually become a viable currency um, in, in the crypto space might be Litecoin. But you are actually turning me on to some coins. Um, that, you know, that, that There's been a lot of development in that space since then. So would you care to um, share that with our, our listeners? Sure. Um, 
Before we start, I am a big fan of uh, traditional SHA-256 and SHA-3 blockchains. So I love Bitcoin. I love Litecoin. Um, I love coins that have hybrid uh, 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 mining possibilities like digibyte mm. because it has like five different mining algos that you can use to mine and, and raven too right <clears throat> right and raven yeah, as well yeah. but i think going forward if we're going to be looking at crypto as a currency for people to use and not a store of value i think the next iteration of value transfer will be uh directed acyclic graphic coins or dags I remember when that came out. Yeah, that white paper was fascinating. So I am a big fan of uh, Ferrum Network. I am a big fan of Nano because they are feeless and instantaneous. You can send Nano from one wallet to another in sub-second times. Jeez, wow. Right. After release 18, Nano went sub-second. And last time I checked, it's at like 73, 74 cents. Um, but just I just pulled up the it, chart now. Yeah, it's 73 cents. Yeah, I was buying in the nano at 16, 17 cents. Wow. Okay. I just believe in the project. I think that is the way forward um, to get around transaction times, to get around um, increases in block fees, mm-hmm. transaction fees. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, I think that's going to be the way forward for uh, uh, coins and tokens in the future. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, now, you know, the, the big thing in the news, obviously, last week was the halving. Um, and, you know, when I was looking at the Bitcoin chart before, um, the, you know, this is not the first time that's happened, right? Um, you know, there's always been that uh, increase in value as people are buying the rumor only to sell the news later once it happens, right? So mm-hmm. I was expecting a little bit more of a pronounced dip in the price of Bitcoin. Um, you know, because I'm waiting to load up on it myself. I just don't think at this, I, I think at this time you'd be kind of FOMOing into a trade. Um, and so I was just wondering on what your thoughts were for like, um, for that, uh, the price of Bitcoin specifically with regard to that having. Well, just, just to chime in here, uh, for a sec before, uh, Noir jumps in based off of the having, I mean, like it, it pulled back quite a bit. Um, and it hit some key technicals right on the 8,000 mm. mark. Right. And now it looks really, um, like it looks like it's a bull, uh, bull, bull wedging, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it looks looks very very bullish, right? I mean, mm. even, I believe even like you could make an argument that this long term trend line here is probably being tested to the yeah. downside, right? So, uh, yeah, Noir, what's 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 your take on the having and uh, and where Bitcoin prices will be in the future? Unpopular opinion. I'm actually still expecting that dump to come. Yeah, me too. That's why. I asked. <laughs> That's I'm why I'm waiting. I'm like, uh, come on, let's get it over with already. Right. I I think the demand for Bitcoin is there, right? And the supply of new Bitcoins is being cut in half um, right. every time a block is mined, right? But so I scarcity. Think that Right. So that yeah. scarcity is there. But I think as miners begin to retool to become profitable, they'll be cashing out Bitcoin to buy new rigs. And I'm expecting that to lower the price 
uh, for a single Bitcoin mm -hmm. in the next maybe month or two. That's just my simple, okay. rudimentary, basic TA. Um, I'm <laughs> big on fundamentals, though. Yeah, from a fundamental too. perspective, I am expecting uh, a, a real pullback. Yeah, no, I will. Okay, so here, here's the thing, which is why I um, tend to caution a lot of new traders from getting involved in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. and, and this is a complaint that I have about it, which isn't exactly the coin's fault, but uh, we can talk about those things, th those aspects later, is that a lot of these transactions, the real moves in the price are dominated by large wallets. And there's really no technical analysis you could do to predict this. They come out of nowhere and it's just bang, right? So I'm waiting for another, uh, like we like to call it, those big red dildos uh, yep. to, to, to get in on, uh, <laughs> on a nice position. Right. It's coming. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. I, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, I, think it's, I think it's coming. Um, just because I, I, I look at it, I look at it as a business. I've owned a few businesses in my life and you always use capital to buy equipment to create more capital. Yeah. To create profit. You know what I mean? And if you are observing Moore's law every year or so, there are new rigs that come out that are thinner, that are cooler, that run more faster, energy efficient, yeah. more energy efficient. So as miners begin to think about retooling their operations they're going to have to cash out bitcoin to do it or right. they're going to have to pay bitcoin for pocket. this yeah. new equipment oh, fair enough yeah you see what i mean Absolutely. either way i i think that dump is inbound i just don't think it's going to be a sudden drop i uh, think it's going to be a slow grind yeah yeah, kind of like what, go up. what we saw with the coronavirus, right? My take on that is, okay, everybody's saying, okay, well, Bitcoin's going to be a new safe haven. It actually has not been acting like <clears> a safe haven uh, asset at all, right? And, you know, when this whole corona thing happened, a lot of people, and in my opinion, anyway, a lot of people were cashing out their Bitcoin to survive, right? Because this was a, a new, a very new economic situation that a lot of people were faced with. You know, most Americans don't even have $400 in their savings account, right? Mm -hmm. So here we say, okay, on top of that, you live paycheck to paycheck and you can't go to work, right? Because these are service people, right? They're the backbone of our economy, barbers, right. uh, waiters, and so forth. So <clears throat> what I what I believe is that uh, people were kind of cashing out to, you know, get something under their, some kind of a little bit of a savings, you know, to stave off the next few months. So I don't, I don't know what your take on that would be. I'd have to agree with you, but I don't think that that would be the reason why we would see a big or a sudden drop in Bitcoin. Only because I think in our eco chamber, most of us who are really heavy into this space are in some form or fashion technical okay we have technical jobs or roles or we're self-employed right if you are a student or proponent of austrian economics you've understood the need to save anyway mm -hmm. and i think those folks who Fair enough good point who are struggling right now weren't able to save because they couldn't save not because they didn't want to, but because they simply couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the folks that are feeling the pain. But I think the folks in this space 
that were accumulating the corn the entire time aren't cashing out. I think right now they understand that this is a buying opportunity <laughs> to get in where they fit in because uh, I'm half ready to start looking at my 401k and cashing that out so I can buy some corn myself. Yeah. I'm just waiting on this dip to come so that I can get yeah, in. We're in the same boat, brother. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's like everybody's waiting on that dip to come. Yeah, You're exactly, like, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? I still, I still dollar cost average because if the dip never comes, then I would have missed out on the buying opportunity. Yeah, okay. So the way I actually talked to about this with a buddy – uh, you know, recently, right before the having, uh, this is actually last weekend. And, uh, my take on it was like, look, and I told him just what I told you, you know, all my analysis to anybody is always going to be the same is that, you know, there, there's going to be a little bit of a dip that we can uh, probably buy is, uh, the, you know, you buy the rumor, sell the news type of thing. And, you know, you want to try to get in on that. Unfortunately, we didn't really see, we, we did hit the, some significant technical levels, but it just wasn't the jump, you know, that, that red dildo that I wanted to see. Right. So I advised uh, to my friend, uh, Matt, Matthew, if, if you're on the line, chime in. Um, but uh, I advised him to like, okay, like a tenth of your position, maybe a fifth of your position, whatever you want to allocate to it. Just go ahead and get in now just in case, right? Because Bitcoin is Bitcoin. It can, it can moon to $50,000 and it, it just does that, right? <laughs> right, right. It, just, it, it, would, well, it hasn't gotten that far yet, but you understand what I mean. This behavioral right. profile is not <clears throat> something you can count on, right? So I was saying like, just so that, you know, um, uh, you, you don't uh, get left holding an empty sack, you might consider entering uh, now or in the near future and then just be prepared to buy on dips uh, if, if and when we do see that dump. I agree. Um, I trade, A, I'm not really a trader as much as I am an investor, um, yeah. but I moved half of my crypto position into Tether. Did you? So oh, to be I, prepared. Gotcha. So that I could smart buy man. A dip. Smart man. Yeah. You oh, see that's, what I mean? That's, smart man. That, that's pretty smart. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm at a point now where I don't use any money out of my paycheck other than the dollar cost average to buy Bitcoin. Oh, okay. You, you know, a lot of people don't do that for some reason. And I guess it's, uh, I suppose it has to do with the fact that some exchanges don't offer the ability to transfer into Tether. Um, but, you know, like if you expect a dip coming, like, why wouldn't you transfer to Tether? Well, because also, I, I know uh, I, I know that there's a lot of mistrust around Tether, right? Because we know for a fact that um, some of the major exchanges too, like BitPhoenix, were basically running a Ponzi scheme with it, right? So basically, uh, they were supposed to be backing their Tether by a certain amount of U.S. dollars, and they were basically selling that from under themselves to purchase more Bitcoin, right? So th that's that broke out in no, oh, I want to say twenty. 18, 2019, that, that, yeah. that story. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of mistrust about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a tool. Correct. I look at, I look at Tether like I look at a gun. A gun is not dangerous. It's the person that wield, that's wielding it is dangerous. And whether Big fan of Second Amendment. <laughs> or, I'm with you. I'm Army vet, so I'm all about that pew pew. Awesome, man. Awesome. <laughs> I, was, I was just, uh, you know, yesterday I had a, if you get enough liquor in me, I'll, I'll, I'll show my collection. But uh, <laughs> I was doing that with Chen and, uh, and Zin, our, uh, our, our marketing guy last night. I was like, hey, check this out. I have a little Draco, a little uh, baby Kalashnikov. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> got a, a 357 that I in inherited from my uncle. I didn't even know he died a, long, he died a what, while ago. So. What, what do you keep close on hand? 
Me? Yeah. Oh, I have a Kimber Ultra Raptor too. Kimber, nice, <laughs> beautiful guns. I love yeah. Kimbers. Yeah, got laser sights on it. Forty-five. Do not yeah. break into this dude's house. <laughs> no. it, it'd be a, a bad very, idea. Very, very bad, bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> very bad day. You know, but uh, <clears throat> you know, Tether is 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 a tool, just like uh, U.S. dollar coin offered by Coinbase, just like Dai uh, offered by the Dow. You know, they're tools. And when used properly, you can move in and out of positions. Um, it's just important to do that on an exchange that has liquidity. Very important point. And this yeah. is one of the reasons why I actually don't advocate people trading Bitcoin as much as I do investing in Bitcoin. That's a liquidity mm -hmm. issue. Right. This is like the number one concept. And we inter in our courses, our 12-week program, we introduce this from the very first class the concept of liquidity, because it, I believe in finance, this is one of the most poorly understood concepts. And it's one of the biggest sources of risk that people don't take into account. I've, I've spoken at conferences about this. It's a, it's a big, uh, that's the hill I'm going to die on is to make sure everybody understands liquidity risk. Right. It's a, a very odd passion, very odd pet peeve, but still I'm, I'm very, very uh, vocal about that. Yeah. I, I have to agree. I, there's nothing worse than, getting advice from some avatar on Twitter telling you to buy the next Bitcoin. You have to go to some obscure shady exchange to get it. And then you buy it and then you realize that there are no buyers when you're ready to sell. I, I have a great example of that. We were, um, I'm still working on a crypto arbitrage <clears throat> uh, fund with a, with a friend. And we had a member on our team who um, he had no idea what the fuck he was doing. And, you know, we, we decided, okay, what well, we're, well, we found this out later <laughs> and we, we decided, okay, the first, um, you know, triangular arbitrage opportunities we're going to take, we're just going to do it manually as a proof of concept to make sure that it works. So what does he do? He, he takes our Bitcoin and goes and buys football coin on, on some random ass exchange. I didn't know there was such a thing as football coin, but you know, if you pull up the graph, if you pull up that little matrix football coin, the arbitrage was like 10% or whatever. Right. But it's like, good luck buying said football coin. Right. So right. Our, our order sat there for like two days and it's like, <laughs> we couldn't right. do any other trades because he had our capital locked up waiting for a coin that was never going to be uh, bought. <laughs> right. I'm actually trying to pull up this chart here. I don't, is there such a thing? <laughs> the, man, uh, the, no, it's like XFL or something like that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like it's, it's probably so obscure. It's not even on there. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's, there's so many altcoins. To, in this space i mean like that like noir uh, how how do you or what would you recommend to somebody who is not um as um knowledgeable about this space you know like uh, besides from just understanding a few of the altcoins like what what would you recommend i can i consult uh people on the side i am not a financial advisor so i never give financial advice but I do consult people in how to get into the space. Mm. Um, number one, Cash App is infinitely better than Coinbase for buying Bitcoin. Don't worry about buying any alts until you get your first Bitcoin. You Cash need to, App? Yes, Cash App. You need to understand how custodial and non-custodial wallets work. So I always introduce them to Edge Wallet or Atomic Wallet or Exodus Wallet so that they understand custody, custody versus non-custodial wallet. 
Now, do you use a uh, cold storage wallets like the? Oh, yeah, I'm, Ledger. A, I'm a big Ledger fan. I, I'm a big Ledger fan too. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had my Ledger. My Ledger is Ledger is such a beast, man. They're like little tanks. You can, yeah. you can, it's like an AK. You can bury it in the backyard and it still works. You know. Yes, you know. Um, and I've had mine since you know, 2017, I think. It still yeah. works like a champ. Yeah, I have three that I've used the same uh, seed phrase for, and then I have one that has a different seed phrase that I have linked up. Uh, for just in case okay <clears throat> but um i introduce them to the difference between custodial and non-custodial wallets and then i advocate them buying this book called an altcoin so Trader's this is Guide. this is this is the app correct yep yeah i've yep. actually have the website up here for everybody yeah i, I, I saw app. that too just wanted yep. to make sure yeah. it was okay and then i advocate they buy this book called uh an altcoin altcoin traders handbook by uh, Coin Trader Nick, and then I suggest they read the Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean Amos, and that's how I onboard people into crypto, mm -hmm. because a you need to know where to buy it, b you need to know how to store it, c you need to understand that there's more to cryptocurrency than just Bitcoin, and then d you need to understand why you're using it. And and the, this is something that I'm. Um you know, very specific about when it, when, um, you know, I talk to people to, especially newbies about crypto is that like, you know, if, if I send Bitcoin to an Ethereum wallet, I mean, they're like, now I see some of the apps are getting smarter. They'll, they'll, they'll ping you and say, Hey, you know, just, just FYI, this looks like an address that's not for the coin that you're using. But if I send $2 million in Bitcoin to an Ethereum address, that 2 million is gone. Right. right? It's just into the <laughs> void. It just does not exist anymore. Right. And so as, as critical as I am of the modern financial structure and banks and all that, there's, there have been times when, um, you know, on the other end, uh, the bank teller fat fingered a digit on the recipient account. Uh, this person gets $5,000. My um, recipient didn't make a call. No problem, Mr. Kovach. And then they, they uh, correct it, right? So um, I'm wondering if they're, because my knowledge in that particular space is a bit dated. So I was wondering if you had any input on um, that particular problem uh, with regard to transferring cryptos. <clears throat> when you get into crypto, you understand that the responsibility of securing your funds is yours and not Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> it is essential that anyone who gets onboarded into crypto understands that. Mm -hmm. It's incumbent upon anyone who tells anyone about crypto that they explain that there are risks involved with it. Yeah. If I've explained to you the risks, I show you where to go to do more research about the risk and you do it anyway, it's your fault. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I hate to sound cold when I say that, but I've done that at least twice. Me too. Yeah, and that's why like I would, luckily these were with smaller amounts, but I could see, you know, when I transfer large amounts, man, I'm like double, triple checking, you know, going to blockchain.in and make sure that ha that, that address exists. Um, and it's stressful, right? Because, you know, that that's a very, um, that's a huge, uh, you know, we have risk reward, right? And that's a huge risk, right? Uh, to be having your, seeing your entire transfer just disappear into the ether. So, um, and that was one of my complaints about crypto in general was that, you know, I, I, I thought that, maybe the exchanges or the apps could be doing a better job at, at, at least, I don't want to say policing because, you know, like you said, we're, we're all adults here and we're getting into crypto because we want more control over our finances. Right. 
So, um, but <clears throat> with that responsibility comes that risk, right? right. You know, it's like libertarianism, right? You, you know, you expect the government to only come in in the interest to help the people. Well, that's at the sacrifice of a lot of the niceties that we have in today's current system, right? And, and I'm okay with that. A lot of people are okay with that. A lot of people say they're okay with that. But when those things start to dry up and disappear, then then we're going to see exactly how cool they are with libertarianism, right? So I, I feel the same way about cryptos. And originally, you know, if I had infinite time, I had this idea for an app where basically, like, if you have your um, set of holdings of crypto, be it Stellar Lumens or Ethereum or whatever, and I have mine, I want to go buy a sofa from you off Craigslist, the app can just figure it out, right? It'll just handle it for you. And I was wondering if, because um, I, I just downloaded Cash App now, maybe, maybe that solves that problem. My information on this is dated. Is there any such uh, application available? That what translates what you're sending to the user's address? Well, main, but mainly um, it would be a form of risk mitigation for getting the wrong address. That's mainly. But, you know, I had a lot of times, a lot of issues where, you know, if I wanted to send crypto to somebody, he doesn't have, or, or, or I wanted to receive it, he doesn't have that, so he has to cash it out, put it into that uh, address, send it to me. That I, I thought that that would be a really convenient way to inc encourage adoption, because for people who are just kind of getting into it and they don't know necessarily the difference between, you know, the Ethereum and the Litecoin and all that, they could just have a set holdings and have the app manage that transfer for them, right? So. I want to. I want to get to a day where I can comfortably and safely and reliably go do peer-to-peer -peer interactions with you. If I want to buy something from your Craigslist or have your consultancy services, where I could pay you and just have it take care of it for me. Cash App works really well, Dan. Okay, yeah, that was actually my question, and I preface this because, again, my knowledge on this is dated. Uh, I just found out uh, Cash so App now, so I, thanks to I, Noir I, for pointing that out to me. I use it's by far the cheapest way to buy Bitcoin. Oh, my, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it, I've, and I've been everywhere to look to buy Bitcoin and it's, it's really efficient. Um, like you can link your PayPal account to it, transfer money over to it and just buy Bitcoin directly. Like, I mean, it's like it costs you, it's cheaper than Coinbase. Yep. And, and, and then from there, you can send it out to wherever you want. Uh, I always, you know, copy and paste my addresses when I'm sending stuff, but I typically prefer to use QR codes because you can't fuck that up. Right. Good point. Now, to answer your question about uh, technology that would, uh, quote unquote, do it for you, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there are projects out there right now that are developing, that have developed that type of technology. Mm -hmm. um, the two that stand out to me in the moment are uh, Ferrum Network, where you send a link the person clicks on the link, they make a payment in whatever crypto that they want to make that payment in. And then it comes to you in the payment that you choose via atomic swaps. Um, there are, there is also unstoppable domains mm -hmm. where you just send someone pays you at a link address. Like if you wanted to send me money for uh, or crypto for a consultation with well, sound money, that's what I meant to say. God damn it. If you <laughs> want to send me sound money for a consultation, <clears throat> and you were sending me a hundred bucks, you would send it to uh, cigarsandcrypto.zil. That's mm -hmm. the address that you put into your uh, 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 wallet. And it would auto translate for you on my end. And then I would that's receive That's great. It. Yeah, that's brilliant. Okay. All right.
so anybody else uh, on the Zooms, do you have any questions for him? Well, Wale, like, uh, do you have anything you'd like to ask? I'd like to know more about how you got into all these classy cigars. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, man? I, uh, <clears throat> I started out smoking things that people told me to smoke. And then I quickly found out that everyone's palate is different. Man, that's a great, that's, that's so true. I'm into hot sauces, by the way. Right. So what people think is like super spicy for me is like, mm. and what I think is super spicy, other people are like, mm. you know, and, and the, the way I like to describe it, like whether I'm also a fan of like red wines and, and uh, you know, I'm a man of substance. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, what I found was that just like you said, it's a palette, right? So, um, everyone is going to have their specific thing that they gear themselves toward. Even red wine people, you'll find people who are more for Pinots, people who are more for Cabs, some for Cab Francs, right? And so I imagine it's the exact same thing with cigars. Yeah, it is. You, My advice to anyone that's new to cigars is take a suggestion or two from people that you trust, but go out of your way to buy things that you've never smoked before. Mm-hmm. Learn about the differences between Jalapa, San Andreas, Cameroon, uh, uh, tobacco. Learn about the differences in the way it's grown in Nicaragua, Honduras, uh, Dominican Republic, and Cuba. Learn yeah, about the differences. I, I've heard that Honduran uh, cigars are, are pretty good. Yeah, Hondurans are good. Uh, Nicaraguan is like the new hotness. So back yeah. in the day, everyone had to have a Cuban. Now, you know, uh, Nicaraguan Puros are like the way to go. Uh, some of my favorite brands are Nicaraguan Puros. Um, <clears throat> because I've had a, a good number of cigars in my life, I, I tend to stay away from um, filler tobacco from certain countries because no matter what the wrapper is, the filler is kind of going to be the same and I tend to stay away from them. You might as well be smoking a Philly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. pretty much. Or Dutch Master, pretty much. Yeah. Black and Miles. Yeah, you know. We actually have a uh, cigar bar um, relatively relatively close to where I live. And uh, I'm, I'm in Kentucky, so bourbon is our, mm-hmm. you know, staple here. So they pair, you know, cigars with different types of bourbon mm-hmm. uh, to, I guess, like reflect the different notes and flavors. Well, when I go visit you in uh, Kentucky, Chase, you got to take me there. That For sounds sure. amazing. Yeah, that 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 sounds that sounds like a, a checkbox we got to cross off. Like I, I'm I'm generally a miserable person in life, but there are certain pleasures that I get a lot out of. Like wine pairings are one of those. Like wine and cheese, man, you want to make my day. Like those type of things, I really value. So it's the pairing of two uh forms of substance so you know as a man of substance like you get double the bang for the buck right so <laughs> if i could see that place chase i'd be i'd be super happy uh, nor do you have like a pairing that you like to uh put together <clears throat> i like cigars and rum oh man that sounds amazing i'm a, rum like a drinker. buttery rum uh no Okay. I like strong, hardcore rum. There we go. That's my man. Nor, I like you better every time I talk to you, man. Every day. You know what I mean? I want, I want a rum that's going to knock my socks off. And when I came... God damn right, brother. Preach. When I went to Cuba, um, I realized that Cubans pair cigars with rum. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Whether it's the person who's rolling the cigar on their lap on the street or the proprietor of the tobacalera that is selling you the cigars, they drink rum. And I went uh, to Cuba and we went to this pairing class on how to pair Cuban cigars with rum. And they gave me a uh, Monte Cristo number two and Havana Club seven. And that was just the pinnacle of my trip. I mean, that was, I was at my apex of happiness on that trip, man. And when I came back, now I'm like hooked on sipping rums and good cigars. And I I specifically say sipping rums because not all rums are made the same. Mm -hmm. But a good sipping rum, like um, a Bacardi Quattro or number eight, or Bacardi 10, ten, or bamboo, or bamboo rums, amazing. Yeah. Or uh, uh, Pilar, that's uh, made out of uh, Key West, that was uh, from the Hemingway factory. Mm-hmm. Amazing rum, and I love to pair it with a good cigar, man. Oh wow! God damn it, we 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 got to go for a. Uh, uh... A little bourbon and cigar session, <laughs> man. Uh, you know, you know what what you said earlier about going to um, to that lounge with your neighbor, man. I think I need I think I need to do one of those sessions with you, man. Yeah, then I'm sure. really getting to some cigars. Then. Yeah, man. Come on, bro. Anytime, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. man. You know, that's, oh, that, that's that's typically like all the the things you know that uh, I've really spearheaded and, and gotten really good at. And like I did have a mentor who is uh, kind of walked me through the process, and of course. They say the same things you do. It's like, look, I do my thing. Like, I'll I'll show you the ropes and basically get you on your feet, so I can I can develop my own style and whatever it is. Yeah, because <laughs> at the end of the day, we're all different, mm-hmm. and 100%. what rocks your boat may not rock mine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but if I show you the basics, then you can develop your own cigar culture. Even though there's yeah. a global cigar culture amongst aficionados, everyone's experience is unique. Mm-hmm. And that experience is created by the cigar you're smoking, uh, what you may be drinking, or what you like to pair it with. Because I like some, I know some people who like who don't drink and they love to pair cigars with music. Oh, so that's they'll cool. listen to you know uh, jazz or rock while they smoke a cigar, and and that's what does it for them. Mm. Um, Noir, which uh, branch of the military were you in? And obviously, we appreciate your service. I- it's, it's no problem, man. Thank you. Um, Army. I was going to be a prick and say that there's only one branch, but <laughs> I, I figure, you know, I'll be nice on the show, man. But yeah, I was uh, I was Army. Hey, look, look, we have a no holds barred type of show here. So you know, okay. feel, feel free right. to be yourself. You know, no, no one's getting offended on this show. And if you do get offended, you're on the wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I was Army. I wasn't a hero, though, man. I was in the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. I was a crane operator. Oh, oh nice. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, Did you get to travel much uh, while you were in, in the service? Nope. I was in, in the sweet spot. So I was in from 93 to 2000. So after Desert Storm and before 9-11. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. My uncle actually uh, was in Desert Storm. He flew Blackhawks. When I wanted to enlist, I wanted to fly Apaches, but uh, my trusty, dusty uh, recruiting sergeant uh, told me that I could until I got to MEPS and I gave my oath and they said, well, you can't fly combat aircraft with corrective lenses. 
Oh. And this was before LASIK was prevalent. So there was no get LASIK so that I can go to, you know, uh, combat yeah. aircraft school. I, so I, I realized that I wasn't going to be flying Apaches. <clears throat> um, and a crane operator seemed like a good skill to have when I got out because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, construction crane operators make money, bro. And so I yeah. said, well, I'll do that. But for some odd reason, I got into IT and that was it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so is that what you do you do now is it work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i got a question to ask you nor um off the record you said that you used to work in radio broadcasting um and, yes. and you also have your own uh podcast itself um cigars and cryptos yep, yep. um I just wanted to know how did you get into something like this um and what was your process i mean like for somebody like us, you know, like I think we're we're about nine episodes in. Yeah, this is uh, nine episodes. So so we're we're fairly new, and uh, you know, we 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 just do this. You know, we like to call it, we do this the the DC way. Um, Danny Chen way is just kind of <laughs> winging things. Like I call it douched, douche it till it works. So, um, you know, it's it's been a big learning experience for us um, doing something like this and just chatting with you know interesting people in, in all walks of life and, and then yeah. making the connection to finance you know business economics and whatnot but the yeah. whole podcasting side of it um, was all very new to us and we just kind of just fell into it right um, so I wanted to know how you got into something like this uh, and and how did you specifically focus on like the cigars and, and cryptos uh, portion of it why don't you pull up his page Jen so our yeah, users yeah, yeah. can um, yeah I I got, I went to a cigar lounge, my home lounge, and I found that I was having the same discussion with my cigar friends over and over and over again. You know, I walk in the lounge, they have TVs on, so they're playing sports you know, on TV, but I walk in with a tablet or a laptop and I'm head down uh, looking at charts or reading white papers. And so people were like, you know, what, you know, what are you doing? You, you, you talk to us, but you're kind of disconnected. Like, what are you mm -hmm. doing? <clears throat> so I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the chart for this coin. I'm looking at the chart for that coin, or I'm reading this white paper. Or I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Going on LinkedIn to see what this development team is, if they're really legitimate folks, you know? And so I found that I was explaining that over and over and over again. Huh. I was explaining the same information 10 or 15 times because there'll be different people in the lounge at any given moment. And so I said, well, I'm gonna start recording this so that I don't have to keep repeating it. And I, because I have a background in radio, the idea of making an audio podcast is not foreign to me. Right. You can definitely tell by the radio voice. <laughs> Thanks, man. You know, it's not foreign to me. So I I just downloaded some tools. I use Audacity. I use VLC. Um, and I go to Anchor to upload my show. And it propagates my podcast across like 10 different platforms. And I just started. I just started. And at first I was it was just me. Then I would reach out to different people on Twitter. And then as my shows moved along, it's gotten a little bit easier to find people to talk to me on my show. Um, I prefer to deal with small startups. I don't like going for the big folks that everyone else goes for. Mm -hmm. 
the person, the big person that you're going for on your show has probably been on 10 or 15 other shows. Right. So I prefer to go for those really small projects that people may not have heard about. Well, the passion is there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thing that I really picked up from you in our first conversations, how passionate you were for cryptos. And it's not just doing a podcast for you. I mean, you really believe in this stuff and you're evangelizing it, right? And mm-hmm. I think that you can tell that from us. Like, not only do we have this product, we have our, our, our courses that we do, but we really believe in this, right? We really want to help people and we really want to put out tools that work. You know, there's a lot of snake oil out there and we, we, we don't want to be a part of that, right? Right. Right. You know, I've had my fair share of pitfalls in this space. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been scammed successfully a couple of times in this space. Uh, As recent as recent as this year, as a matter of fact, you know, no, no, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you um, uh, in that vein, if you have any uh, prevalent risk factors uh, in the crypto space for our, for our new people or whatever who are thinking of getting into it. You know, I'm a huge uh, evangelist of cryptos, but there are risks, right? Like we talked about earlier with the sending to the wrong address type of thing, but in that vein of scams, like, can you give our, um, you know, any, any, any uh, newcomers to crypto, any kind of advice of what they want to look out for, be aware of? I mean, I felt, you know, I, I sent, I sent it to the Nigerian prince and he just hasn't given, he just hasn't gotten back with me. He's a Nigerian prince. He must be busy. Which Nigerian prince? He, <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got Wale over here. From Nigeria. Yeah, Wale's like, <laughs> Wale's like, I know all about this. <laughs> if, if, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Yeah. No one is going to four or five, 10 X your money for you. Mm-hmm. That comes through hard work. When I hear about a new project, the very first thing I do is I read the white paper. And then I compare it with other coins or tokens that say they're gonna do the same thing, right? And then I read those white papers. Noir, I actually have have a white paper I'd like to send over to you to check out um, somebody we may be partnering with. Okay, send it to me. I'll make sure that you guys Thanks. get my uh, email address. Yeah, I have a perfect. question. Go for it. Uh, what's this white paper? Well, a white paper is a technical document that outlines what the coin or token is supposed to do, how it's supposed to work, how it's different from other coins or tokens what in makes the space. It unique, yeah. You know what I mean? Those types of things. And it even, in some cases, goes in depth in the technology and how they do what they say they're going to do. Have you written a white paper in one? No. I've written three. I've read a ton. Yeah, I, I wrote, uh, we, were, we were supposed, I, in a previous uh, iteration, I was supposed, we were actually supposed to build, um, you know, a couple different uh, cryptos. Um, and I, I wrote white papers for all three of them. And uh, of course it never came to fruition, but um, I have some experience writing that. So mm-hmm. I know what to look for. Yeah, and because I read, so now I'm at a point where I don't really entertain new projects much. That may be to my detriment, but- You have your thing, you know? Yeah, but I don't don't really entertain new projects. Mm -hmm. I, I depend heavily on the activity of a development team. So I go to their GitHub, or wherever they post their code 
to see uh, calls that they make. Mm. You know, I mean, not calls. I'm sorry, commits. Yeah. To see if if they're actually working on the project. I looked the developers up on LinkedIn to wow. see if these people really are doing uh, uh, what they say they do in the space. Um, I compare coins a lot with similar products in the market. And I use heavy fundamental analysis to determine if I'm gonna get into a coin. Um, I only use TA to determine entry and exit points. And because I'm not really a trader, I may buy, I, I buy and hodl for at least a month. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at when I look when I do TA I'm looking at one day one week candles very rarely do I go beneath 12 hours well that's the most reliable I mean you know the longer the time frame the more information <clears throat> content you have in that and especially with cryptos being so volatile in general but especially on the uh, shorter time frames five minute candles mean nothing so I, I try to rely a lot on doing my homework before I invest in something new. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, you know, I've been burned on a few. That's why that's why I'm not a big fan of ICOs. I'm not a fan of ICOs. You're trying to sell me on a dream with an Spray ICO. Spray and pray, basically. Right. It, you're selling me on a dream because nine times out of 10, you're releasing this coin into the ecosystem and you've done no work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ICOs was um, it was the uh, the the modern day crowdfunding. It was it was like the Kickstarter for for tokens. No, right now, um, what what's your take on the evolution of ICOs? Because originally we had ICOs that was <clears throat> pretty much the only vector that was used for introducing new coins. I believe the SEC had um, started to crack down on some of the scams and some of the you know outright you know, profligate scams that were going on. So now they're doing IEOs, right? Initial exchange offerings and mm -hmm. um, you know a couple others. So um, do you have any thoughts on those? Same same kind of thing? I don't fuck with them either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, Cheers to that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. think, think about it. An IEO is probably going to occur on one exchange, right? And then they're going to try to get listed on other exchanges. That goes back to that question about liquidity. Mm -hmm. You know, if yeah, absolutely. If Binance is the only place that I can buy a coin or a token, I don't want it because right. it's not accessible to everyone. So not everyone can inject capital into the market cap for that coin or token, and so I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. So I tend to play with the top fifty coins. Um, I only hodl bag no more, maybe four to five coins at any time, um, just for uh, risk management and just the ease with which I can uh, look at my portfolio over a given period of time. Right. So yeah, I, I, I don't I don't mess with IEOs, ICOs, one two threes, ABCs. I don't fuck with any of that. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love your frankness. <laughs> Being nice and blunt there. In with us. Yeah, um, an, an, another question I had was on the long term, larger ramifications on the uh, on economics in general for uh, for increased adoption. Because one of the the issues I keep seeing that I don't think is going to end well is the increasing uh, wealth gap, right? And I'm not talking about. Um, identity politics here. I'm talking about just the gap, um, you know, the, the distribution of the haves and have nots. 
Um, you know, I, I think for the fractional reserve lending system that this will is it, it's kind of an inevitability of that system. And I was wondering how you would uh, anticipate that to compare with a, um, a the crypto environment. I'm choosing my words carefully here, so give me a minute to think. Sure, on no problem. Capitalism does not work without a permanent underclass because that permanent underclass is what churns money and moves it from the bottom to the top, okay? If we continue to see disparities in the gap uh, the wealth gap in between those who have and those who have not, there's going to be a breaking point at, at which point people won't want to participate in the system as it is. Right. For crypto, I think one of the things that one of the, the premise, the premise that's not often spoke of enough is that anyone can get into crypto. I think you there's a reason for that too. I'd have to agree. But anyone can get into crypto. Anyone can build wealth with cryptocurrency, but they have to know about it. Right. And it goes back to the adoption question. How do we get people to know about it? If we've been talking to people for the last, for the last 11 years about why they should use Bitcoin, talking about you know all of this other stuff, about uh, Austrian economics and mm -hmm. fractional reserve banking and sound money and the tenets of what makes money work. People don't really care about that. But if you show someone a tangible benefit mm -hmm. for using it, then they'll use it. And I think adoption needs to come through businesses and not I agree with you 100% there. Yeah. And not sure. us preaching to people. And, and we're doing our part too in Ghost Walk. We're working with right. everybody to integrate that into WooCommerce and, you know. Yeah. And I think that I think that there are some similarities between the two systems, but I think crypto is the wild, wild west. And we're early enough that that disparity can be easily remedied yeah. by moving into altcoin positions. Because okay. 90, 95% of alts will die over the next couple of years. Uh, that's just my opinion. I think they already have a lot of right. them already. Have. There are a lot of dead projects sitting yeah. out on CoinGecko and Coinbase. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, uh, Coin Market Cap. But, I know firsthand because I worked on one that died. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, me too. As a matter of fact, now that oh, I think man. about it. And, <laughs> Hashtag me too. <laughs> right. You know? And it's, it's, I got raped by cryptos. Here's my story. <laughs> You know, but it, it's it's bad because when that comes, there'll be a lot of people that get wrecked, but there'll be a lot of lessons learned and only the resilient, the strong will survive that day of reckoning when it comes, mm -hmm. you know? And that's yeah. why I play, that's why, I, like I said, I play in the top 50 and I mainly invest top two, somewhere in the middle and then the bottom 50 coins. Uh, other than that, I don't play with anything else. Now, um, I've been fairly on record to say that um, cryptos could benefit from regulation. 
I mean, thus far, the regulators, I think that they don't understand it. And even if they did, this space evolves so fast, that this top-down organizational structure just isn't going to be able to keep up. So do you, do you foresee any uh, regulations coming in the future? And do you think it would be good for cryptos? No. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> Regulation is manipulation. Regulation is an opportunity for an entity to control the flow or restrict access or entry to a coin. I don't want the government regulating cryptocurrencies. Actually, to clarify what I meant by, by regulation, I'll, I'll do this through example. I remember there were a lot of times when uh, you know cryptos were really, really moving back in 2017. And uh, sometimes that was not necessarily in a good way, right? So we need to exit our positions. And we just, a lot of times we weren't able to just because the exchange just couldn't support the, the volume. Now that is not something that's going to happen, uh, you know, on the CME, right? That's not something that is going to happen on the New York Stock Exchange mm -hmm. because these are regulated uh, bodies, right? So I'm not necessarily advocating that cryptos themselves are regulated, but I think that the exchanges, you know, for the consumer's protection, maybe um, some regulation on the exchanges uh, may help to mitigate some of those uh, risk factors. No, <laughs> no, and, I, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you like this, man. The government already controls the on ramp and off ramp for crypto. Period. No, I mean, you can't unless you're spending crypto in a peer to peer fashion. The government already knows that you spent it. Mm -hmm. They have your address. They use chain analytics. They know who you are. They know everything. You KYC to get on an exchange. You KYC to get a bank account. So they know everything. Mm -hmm. I don't want them regulating exchanges. If an exchange is bad, let the market deal with it. If an exchange is bad, we just won't fucking put our money there. Mm -hmm. You, you see what I mean? Where I, I as, as the CME and the New York Stock Exchange, right? How do you how do you get into that exchange? How do you get into the CME and the New York Stock Exchange? You have to open an account so that Correct. you can get stocks, whether it's self-directed or whether it's a custodial account, right? So now you're KYCing and you're aim and you're using you know following AML laws mm -hmm. and regulations to get in, right? And when the market says that a stock uh, should drop or tank because the market says it should, because the people say it should, and they begin to sell off, the market stopped trading on it. We're going to pause for 15 minutes because you don't know what's good for you. We know what's better for you. So we're going to pause trading on, on this particular stock. You're talking about the circuit breakers. Right. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to we're going to stop this from happening for a few minutes just to give you a chance to think clearly and then we'll open it back up again. No, well, as we know, that, has, that, actually, that actually has nothing to do with the people. That's that's because they, they want the economic they, they, they want to they want to save the S&P. They want to make the S&P great again. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was so bullshit because back back um, uh, in March when the when the S&P was crashing and it kept crashing to a specific level where you had a lot like, of nope. government money coming right back in to defend a certain level. Well, right. they're on record as saying that they have a plunge protection team, which buys back those dips to make sure that we don't uh, 
know, completely obliterate. Right, right. That that's exactly my point, and, and um, it's it's very interesting take here because you're you're basically saying like the regulations is not good for the market. No, it's not. I think I think the market can regulate itself. I I I completely well, uh, I completely a proper market a proper market should be able. Right. Well, yeah, a proper market is self regulating. Right, and I, and that's when. Oh God! Don't get me started on buying back stocks and shit. That's a whole nother animal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll be here for a whole another for like another two hours on that. Shit. I think I think I think the layman does not understand that there is a differentiation between the economy and the stock market. Well, I think that's um, that's by design, right? When when you when you hear the talking heads on MSNBC and so forth, they always reference the S and P. Hey, stocks are uh, stocks are going like this. It must be fine, you know. Like uh, you know, to keep on keep on keeping on, keep on uh, going to work and being productive, right? And we're led to believe that it is, even though they're they're vastly different, vast different. The stock market has been crashing since before 2008. I mean, I'm sorry, the economy has been crashing since before 2008. I, I'd argue even since the 70s, right? That's when yep. essentially the um, there hasn't been uh, inflation in wages enough to keep up with economic inflation. Additionally, yep. we have the death of the um, production sector in the U.S. And this is the context is the U.S. here, right? And so what, what is an economy, right? Well, what is GDP? Well, it ties into production. So if we're not producing anything, or at least not at the rate to keep up with inflation, that's a real problem. Yep. And that, this is the gigantic bubble I see in the market. This is a general statement. Just, but it's- just, just to jump in real quick, I mean, like inflation has been pushed around to asset classes, which the Federal Reserve completely removes out of the inflation indicators. Like, right. for example, yeah, the, like and housing in the, the stock use- market. They, they don't even look at housing and stock market and calculate right. that within the inflation indicator so, so itself. W- when I was in California, I was paying uh, t- $2,400 a month. This was in 2014, by the way. $2,400 a month for like a shitty two-bedroom apartment in San Jose, right? And I think, you know, th- thank God I got out of there in a year. I couldn't take it anymore. And I, I moved back to Florida. But that same shitty, uh, you know, two-bedroom apartment, they were going to raise my rent to 2600 Right. So you tell the, you know, the, the Fed was bitching at that time. Oh, there's no inflation. There's no inflation. <laughs> well, well, we'll tell the person who has to pony up an extra $200 a month for his apartment that there's no fucking inflation. Dude, inflation is only reserved for the wealthy, man. For anybody who has money to invest in several homes or have like a nice 401k, man, you'll get inflation in, in rising those asset prices. But the ordinary person who's buying grocery and shit, man, they're not they're not getting inflation. Yeah, and, and, and is that person's weight? Are that person um, the, the wages increasing by a commensurate two hundred dollars to cover that rent? Absolutely no. I tell you, I tell people like this when I when I onboarding people to Bitcoin, and we begin to have that discussion about inflation. I'm old enough to remember when a tank of gas was eighty nine cents. I'm old enough to remember when you went to a fast food joint, you could get a value meal with a large fry and a large Coke for $2.99. I remember those things. We're talking the 80s. Look at today. That same value meal is going to cost you eight bucks, depending on where you go, maybe 10. Five guys, probably 12. (laughs) Gas, when I lived in California uh, in 2015, 15, I was driving, a, a, I had a Cadillac Escalade, the, the big SUV. Gas oh, yeah. was $4, $4 a gallon. And 
now gas is at a dollar seventy nine, and people are like, oh yeah, this is great, and I'm looking at them like, still, you, you don't understand. It. Yeah, gas is a dollar seventy nine, but you're spending more money for everything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, we've been very long on record uh, when the Fed basically said they they use for the first time that I've heard anyway the fact that their uh, intervention would be unlimited. Now think about what that word means. That means they can print infinite money mm-hmm. to make the situation better. Okay, that may do it in the short term, but then we're going to see things like hyperinflation. I mean, it didn't work well for Zimbabwe. It didn't work well for Rwanda. It didn't work well for Venezuela. What makes you think it's going to work well here? It won't. Exactly. It's going to crash and we're going to need a new system. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, that's the, a very interesting segue here <laughs> into the new well, system. Th- that's um, one question that I was reserving for the appropriate time with you. And that is the notion of central banks and whether they may adopt a digital currency. I know China, I believe Russia, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, were at least talking about it. Um, well, do chi- you believe China's a very s- interesting take? I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Noir, but over in China, they don't even use physical cash for ordinary day commerce transactions. No, they anymore. don't. Right. Everything QR is tags, done through yeah. QR tags and it's all right. done through like two large companies like um, Ali, uh, Alipay and WeChat, uh, if, yep. if I'm correct. And yep. uh, it's, it's, it's essentially a, a digitalized financial system. Now, I'm not sure if they have cryptocurrency or blockchain technology backing that, but that's almost kind of like the evolution. You know, CBDCs or central bank digital currencies are coming but they will not permeate the economy until they found a way to extrapolate all of the information about a person who uses it, okay? WePat, uh, WeChat, Alipay, they know everything about you when you use it because mm-hmm. you buy from them. They know your spending habits. Hell, with deep analysis they could probably tell you that you're pregnant before you know you're even pregnant oh yeah yeah it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's very similar to how amazon's algorithm predicts uh your search results on on yeah. the web and recommends products for you to use it's it's the same yep. thing um just more ubiquitous over there and and to a certain extent i mean like the the culture and society over there they, they completely accept, orwellian they, they, they accept that as a norm but i don't fault them for accepting that because that is their norm. That's the reality. That's their reality. We have privacy laws here that have been eroded since 2011, 2001. Yeah, uh, and, with the Patriot Act. That was one of the, <clears throat> right. the largest infringements upon civil liberties, um, I would say, basically, in, in American history. Right. A- at least in terms of free speech. And, and it's only going to get worse. Freedom. But it'll be presented to people as a way to make life easier. Or safer. Or safer. See, they got to scare the shit out of you to get things done. Because if they don't scare the shit out of you, then you stop and ask questions. Like, why? Well, you stop trusting them. Right. And, and they need you. They need that carrot on the fishing pole. You know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, my show sponsors today. And we were having a discussion about a book he's reading called Sapiens. And he expressed to me that Nation states, governmental systems are all an illusion and that their power is perceived and that they wield power because we allow them to wield power. Mm -hmm. And unlike a lot of countries, Americans 
are accustomed to having levels of freedom. What we mind think you, is freedom. Right. Mind you, I did not say liberty because it's yeah, a different thing. Exactly. Freedom is given to you. <clears throat> and it's freedom, TM. <laughs> right. You, you know what I mean? And I don't think that it would fly the same way it does in China, well, but it's one, coming. One and it thing will happen. I, I do commend the Chinese for is they're just profligate about it and they're honest about it. We're not honest about it. We do much of the same things they do, but on the DL. Yep. Totally agree. Full I, stop. Totally I, I, agree. I guess even when people disappear there, they're pretty open about that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So <clears> – <throat> So we're going to get into like this this digital world, right? I mean like even now, I'll give you a very good example. Like even now with the whole coronavirus thing going on, right? Like I go to like the store to make uh, payments or like groceries or whatever. Like I'm doing touchless, cashless payment systems, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and I'm still baffled as to why these guys are so slow at transitioning into – a much more um, advanced form of digitalized currency. I mean, like that's that's where we're going. I mean, obviously, paper money is, is going to be it's going to go the way of the dodo bird. It's because they haven't figured out how to control yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't. Fi- their only example are decentralized cryptocurrencies. They haven't figured out how to control it yet. But once they figure out how to control it. They'll outlaw well, everything else and so do you, you can only do you, use Do this. you think that, well, actually, to that effect, um, Bitcoin, uh, I remember reading that Bitcoin, peer to peer Bitcoin transactions are illegal in Florida. So if I have a sofa on Craigslist and you want to buy it from me, you cannot use Bitcoin. It is illegal, right? And they flat out said in that document that I read that it threatens the monetary system. Not, it's not good for you. They're worried about the consumer. No, it threatens the monetary system. That's, that's the truth. And you had mentioned, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's and, the and, truth. And you, you had mentioned earlier about the perceived value of things. We always start our courses with this, right? Like, why is the U.S. dollar worth anything at all, right? Because the fact is, the the value of it has is gradually through for a, a variety of reasons has been decreasing. The issue is when you compare it, because currencies always work in pairs, right? It makes no sense to talk about the value of the dollars in terms of euros or whatever. And when we're all getting, when we're all dying together, we're all going in this downward spiral together. The ratio of that is going to flux and you don't know the difference. Right. So another, another uh, example we bring up, uh, Chen, pull up that, um, the, the, the one of that, um, what was his name? G- Giacovetti or whatever, the, the sculptor who made those hundred million dollar sculptures. And they look like rusted metal that you'd find oh. out of the ocean or something like that. Uh, and they're selling for $100 million, right, some of these statues. And this is how I like to introduce the concept of value. It's just what anybody is willing to pay for for whatever reason. A lot of that is yeah. marketing too. Andy Warhol, uh, basically, like his, his artwork is this stupid pop art stuff that you can basically find anywhere. Uh, there's, there's nothing, in my opinion, as, as someone who studied art, there's nothing really uh, – prolific about it but he was brilliant in his marketing yeah this this goes back to yeah, that uh, one yeah yeah this this goes back to our whole point about you know like why we we teach you know finance um economics investing and trading is that that looks like something i drape my clothes over <laughs> like <laughs> you'd have to pay me to put this in my house like you'd imagine like walking you know 
into your house in the middle of the night and you see a statue like this, like this would like it's a fucking, nightmare. Yeah, it'd scare the shit out of me, right? But <laughs> it, it baffles my mind as to why somebody would pay 141 million dollars for for something like this, right? But then I, I mean, because I'm a finance guy, economics guy, I understand. Um, you know, there's a certain you know element to salesmanship to this that would entice somebody to pay that much for an artwork like this. I mean, it's all perceived value, right? I mean, it's just really what somebody is willing to pay for it. You know, I mean, this thing could be worth like 14 bucks if you can't find a buyer at a million or, uh, you know, 100,000, right? You know, you, you, the price will just keep going lower until the market decides what the price is. Well, in this case, you know, this guy just happens to be, you know, a big swinging dick, you know, hedge fund billionaire. And he's like, ah, yeah, 140 million. That sounds about right. Boom. And he, he paid that much for it and, that's that's what the price is, right? yeah. but really, if you give it to the market, the market is the ultimate decider of what value anything will be, right? And yeah, and, and, and I'd have this, to I'd have to disagree a little bit though. I think the market did determine what the value of that piece was. He wasn't he wasn't commanded or demanded to pay that much for that piece of art. He looked at it, he said, "I like it, and I'm willing to spend this much." Correct, and. and and, that, and that's essentially what he dictate as a market value, right? And now to right. determine that, to Danny's point, is that the artist can create value mm -hmm. through sales and marketing and mm -hmm. to making somebody believe that this piece of art is worth that much, right? I mean, like, even if this thing is worth, you know, its weight in gold, it's probably not going to be worth $141 million. Agreed. Right, and I'd much rather have this weight in gold. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think we're on the same boat in that one. <laughs> right, <laughs> but so uh, are, are, are you? Are you? Um, are you stacking uh, physicals like gold and uh, metals? I am a silver bug. Nice. Oh, I, I like man. silver too because it's used in a lot of electronics. So it, yep. it, it we are going to need silver, uh, you know, for for the foreseeable future. So, so what's what's your take on silver? Because Man, at the, at the current prices, I feel like it's been lagging gold quite a bit. I've never been able to figure that out. That intermarket correlation seems to lag gold, and the extent of the moves don't seem as much. Well, I mean, it, it did Just have in general. It, it did have a, a good technical breakout where it broke it broke the fifteen. Well, te technical breakout for sure. But when you see, well, I mean, when now, you I'll see it, if you, you can overlay it on top of gold, it just seems that the uh, price movements in gold are a lot more drastic. I think because it is an industrial metal that is precious, mm -hmm. it's more heavily manipulated than gold. Ah, good because point. if you Great. look at the spot price of silver and then you go to uh, a retailer or a buyer of silver, the premium is often 50% more than the spot price. Very good point. Yeah. You see in the chart, the, um, you know, we're basically forming like this bull wedge in, um, in gold, but on the corresponding chart in silver, it was unable to retrace to that relative high. What would that be? Uh, March. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, just, just really quickly here. I think we have Powell speaking um, very soon and you can see gold here. Essentially, making new highs on the year. I mean, we're we're about to retest the the 18s. Exactly, and the same as on silver. Uh, 
1920s. But silver, again, I mean, like this is the interesting about silver is that it's it's been such a huge lagger that I think eventually it'll catch up, which is why you know being a silver bug is really really good. I personally have been on record trying to get my hands on some physical, uh, but you know because of the whole coronavirus thing, you know it's been very very difficult to access any bullions. You know it. At one point, there was a two to three week delay on shipment because they were all out. Yeah. <clears throat> I am a big buyer of scrap silver. Oh, okay. So I, I like to buy 90% uh, cull coins um, for silver. Um, Shit, how much silver you want, dog? How much can you get? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> you, you do? Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, haul it on over, buddy. <laughs> Chase, you're coming to Florida soon, though, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know. My dad was. <clears throat> we were going to come down this weekend and uh, look at a look at a house, but um, the insurance premium for that property is almost six thousand dollars a year, and it's on the water. And it's a and it's a ten thousand dollar deductible. So yeah. my dad's just not hip to that right Fair now. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we'll be down there soon for sure. Cool. So um, another thing that I wanted to ask you, you know, you said that uh, you had mentioned earlier that you were a big fundamental advocate, which you know I, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I believe that a lot of the traders and investors even put a lot, uh, much more faith in technicals than they really should. I mean, my, my job, you know, my, what I focus on my specialty, if you will, uh, at Ghostwalk is technicals. And I'm as the technicals trait as the technicals teacher, I'm the first one to tell you the technicals are garbage. <laughs> so, um, now that's not to say that there, 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 there's not things you could do, but you get the point, right? And right. I really like your take on the fact that you use technicals to look for entry opportunities Whereas your fundamentals guide where you're going to go, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of like the navigator of the ship, right? Mm -hmm. So given that we have the having and also the fact that Bitcoin is, you know, there's only a finite number of Bitcoins that will ever exist, okay? And much of those have been mined and, you know, there's just going to be a, a point at which we just, we, we have, uh, you know, Pokemon, <laughs> them all, right? So um, given that, what is your anticipated price point? What do you think is a fair market price for Bitcoin given those uh, fundamentals? Or do you have one? I don't. Okay. And I don't, I don't want to lie and say, I don't want to lie and give a number that sounds amazing to people. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> to me, Are you a Bitcoin, maximalist? No, I'm a capitalist. Nice. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I love capitalism cheers to capitalism cheers to capitalism I, I, I just bought a bmw on my credit card man fuck it capitalism is the best yeah man if it if it if it increases my overall wealth then i'll buy and sell it period i, I don't really care what it is and with that said i invest in coins that i know don't do anything because you know, I am a capitalist and I believe in, I have, I'm a principal investor. So there's some things that I buy that I know won't, won't do anything, but I'll keep buying them because I believe in the projects. Something that I've mm -hmm. noticed, um, it's, and it seems to be like people that tend to invest in crypto have a more entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. um, or, you kind of have to, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I would think. It's, 
<laughs> well, I mean, um, entrepreneurs take risk into account, right? I mean, like when you're getting into something like cryptos, especially if you're new, it's it's kind of risky, right? I mean, if, if you if you don't have that mindset, you know, you just kind of like roll the dice. <laughs> you know, hope <laughs> Hell, I love to do that. I'll roll dice on Bitcoin websites all day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another uh, valuation model that I had heard that I thought was really interesting is that um, it's not necessarily the specific value, but how they calculate it, right? So the value of um, social companies is often calculated. It's some proportion by the users squared, right? Because those users theoretically can interact with each other. And um, so this uh, analyst was basically saying that a similar approach could be taken with Bitcoin in that when more people adopt, it's not just about the scarcity and the, uh, the set number of coins that could be possibly mined, you know, as I mentioned before, but there's also that social component to it in terms of how many people are using it. Okay. Would you believe that that would be a factor as well? Definitely. Network effect. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 100%. Yeah, definitely. I think the larger your user base, the higher the opportunity, the, the greater the opportunity for your user base to grow. Because people tell people about their experiences, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And if you have a product that people like and your user base is growing, I believe it will grow exponentially over time. And that's what I see coming for cryptocurrencies. Um, unpopular opinion, I believe that Bitcoin is a store of value now. But when I first got into it, it was money. And so yeah. a, a lot of people, you know, started mining and trading Bitcoin to accumulate Bitcoin. But, bro, I have very little Bitcoin now because I spend that shit. Hmm. Yeah. You know, if I yeah. need something, I, I spend it. I, I go out, buy, I bought equipment for my checking show. account. Yeah, I bought equipment yeah. for my show. I bought a truck with Bitcoin. Nice. I paid for trips with Bitcoin. That's what it's for. Now, um, as you see the cryptoverse evolving, right? Do you think that there would be, um, you know, and you had mentioned some uh, projects earlier that are, are more, you know, uh, fecundable to use as payment methods? Like a theory that, like, kind of my vision of just cryptos in general is that we're going to start to form some uh, see subclasses evolving. Like, I, because of some of the delays and things like that, I don't see Bitcoin necessarily being the payment vector in the future anyway. I see it as a store of value, like quote unquote digital gold, as some people are calling it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that may change when lightning comes online and more people begin to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, But lightning channel operators may not be happy about that because then they pay the big fees. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that I'd have to agree with that assessment. Bitcoin is a store of value. Um, Even though it's fungible and easily divisible, if it grows the way I think it will grow, there will be a point where you will need something else for microtransactions because we're moving into the internet. 100%, of 100%, yeah. And that's why I say, I think there'll be maybe 50 different currencies. I mean, think about it. Reddit just came out with their own crypto. Right. For, you know, it's a ERC20 for use on their platform. 
to tip people. I think you'll start to see companies doing this more often. We discussed about it at Ghost Squad. We want yeah, a Ghost we, Coin. We, we, wanted to, we, we wanted to do Ghost Squad tokens. Yeah. <laughs> do it. So would you recommend ERC-20 as a, as a easy way to do that? Because no. I, the, no? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty quick answer. <laughs> no. So, so what would you recommend? One, one of my buddies. Go ahead. One of my buddies that he developed, he does a lot of uh, crypto development. He's he suggested that that he's actually going to probably do it for us, but I'd like yeah, to. Because one thing that I understand about ERC 20s is that, I mean, you could just download some Python code and have it ready in like a weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like all the alts, everything's pretty much based off of Bitcoin. Well, well, I mean, there's really uh, snacks brought this up earlier uh, on the last podcast is that there's really like only three, if you, if you really, really want to be, very general about it there's really only three different types of coins right you have the the bitcoin you have the smart contracts through ethereum and then you have privacy coins like monero that's pretty much what you got to work with see i see it a little differently because monero is built off of the bitcoin code i see sha 256 coins things that you mine uh i see uh proof of stake proof proof of well, yeah, but I bundle those more into like the ERC-20 okay. kind of deal, right? And I see DAGs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Merkle tree directed, you know, acyclographic uh-huh. is different than the other two. Now, for and, our, um, our, our our newbie listeners, can you explain uh, what exactly a directed ace like cyclic graph is because I, i'm a math guy so if i'm going <laughs> to sit there and describe it it's going to go <laughs> okay. i'm pretty sure that uh, uh litecoin is based off of a cyclic graph right no, no. it's no, it's no, no. uh sha 256 yeah and, and basically the, the the point of the litecoin project was there's a there's a point at which you know the um you know with, with bitcoin even at that time it was still um you know, they basically wanted to democratize it more such that for a lower price, you're getting essentially the same product. And, and right. that, I believe, is a motivation of the Litecoin project. Uh, and that's been kind of my favorite currency for, for a long time until I got up this new ones. Okay. I'll give you a quick... The easiest way to explain a DAG or directed acyclic graphic coin. Think about... Okay, let me start with uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin has blocks <clears throat> and hashes and nonces that go into creating transactions that get plugged into blocks and they get mined every 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of a block for a DAG, think about a Excel spreadsheet. When you put information to Excel, you're putting something into a cell, right? And you're reading the information that's in the cell. As I understand it, directed, directed acyclic graphic is putting information into the, the cell and along the edges of the cell. So right. you're able to hold more data per transaction And in the case of Nano, each transaction is verified by the hardware that initiated that transaction. Mm -hmm. And that transaction gets propagated 
to the ledger. So it's instead of having a 300 gigabyte blockchain that you have to download when you run a full node for Bitcoin, the packet that gets sent to the ledger for Nano is smaller than a UDP packet. So it's like a kilobyte. That's oh, all you need, yeah. And, and it gets propagated throughout the network and everyone knows it, everyone has it. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? So that's why DAGs are uh, infinitely faster than Bitcoin. And that's also why DAGs are feeless because the small proof of work that's done in a DAG is done on the machine that initiated the transaction. Mm. As opposed to having hundreds of thousands of machines verified. Yeah, yeah, having to sit there and spin and spin and spin and waste <clears> energy. Right. You know, I, I once heard that they, they burn like more, more oil than we burn in a year or something like that. You know, there, there's all kinds of metrics done uh, to, you know, and a lot of this is the environmentalist kind of coming down on Bitcoin because it is very computationally expensive mm -hmm. and it's, um, you know, it, it draws a lot of juice basically. So some of these other approaches, um, just even from an information theory point of view, it's a kind of brilliant way to handle it where all you need is sent in the packet that you have. Right. And that's the nature, what, what I think is powerful about graphs in general, you know, this is, as an IT guy, you'll, you'll understand, you know, we had the RDBMS, uh, you know, which is basically your Excel spreadsheet type things, where we have like SQL and things like that. Then later on, we start to realize that a lot of these sparse networks or sparse uh, uh, database structures can be represented as graphs, right? Because we're dealing with relationships. That became even more important when we started introducing social media. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, the leveraging that in an information theoretical construct to send coins and, and to actually make transactions is just absolutely brilliant. That's what yeah. I, I remember reading that in the white papers. Like this is this, this is good. Yeah, for me, for me, I think DAGs are the future. Um, of course, you know, some people don't like that approach. Some people think I'm crazy for saying that, but. I believe feeless transactions are an easier way to onboard people than transactions that have variable transaction fees. Mm -hmm. You know, like right, like today, right. I I sent, well, not today, day before yesterday, I'm getting some work done in my house. <clears throat> so I cashed out 600 in Bitcoin to uh, pay the contractors that are coming in to do the work because they don't accept Bitcoin, right? Two, three months ago, that transaction would have cost me a couple bucks or less than a dollar. Mm -hmm. But when I made that transaction, it cost me seven bucks. Wow. Do you remember 2018 at the height of the uh, when we were at all time high? Mm -hmm. It's costing you 50, 60 bucks to send a yeah. transaction for like ten dollars. Yeah. When you onboard people to crypto, if you're onboarding them and they don't have sizable wealth to put into it, and you're asking them to use it as money and they go to buy a, a cup of coffee and it's costing right. 50 bucks. Yeah. Right. And that cup of coffee, instead of being two bucks is now $52. Their immediate response is what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you see what I mean? Like, why reason too, right? yeah. like you know. whereas if you're using something like Digibyte or Litecoin, it's pennies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's there, you know, so I, that's why that's to go back to the question, uh, am I a maximalist? No, I'm a capitalist. And that's why. Yeah, and I think um, your um, statement about the um, best way to get adoption, you know, kickstart adoption is through businesses. 
And I think we're basically saying the same thing here. But my my point is we need to get people using this as money. I think we're mm-hmm. saying basically saying the same thing here because mm-hmm. when you when you pay, you got to pay somebody, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. either going to be peer to peer, it's going to be a business. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we if we address both ends of that, we're going to see a lot of progress in adoption. I agree. I agree. I think that time is coming. Um, I don't think people quite understand just how debilitating hyperinflation is going to be in the U.S. Yeah, we um, we were actually talking about it. I believe it was in one of the live streams, Chen, or something where we were basically mm-hmm. breaking it down in terms of, and you had this point earlier, Noir, about the, um, you know, uh, going for a value meal, right? So that value meal is now going to cost you like 15, 20 bucks. Right. Right. A loaf of bread is now going to cost you six dollars. Yeah. A pound of ground beef, 12, 15. Mm-hmm. And if you're on a fixed income or if you, you don't have a lot of disposable income, that's going to hurt. Oh, yeah. man. Pensioners and those people are, are going to be. Well, yeah. yeah and, and that's one thing that like Trump was uh, on record about saying he advocates negative rates. And, you know, say what you want about the guy. I'm, I'm largely a fairly big fan of his. I, I, I think that, you know, uh, his policies and all that. But this is one thing I'm really, really against. Right. Because my parents are pensioners. Right. And they live off of fixed income. And so when, when the, you know, with pension funds, there's a large portion the government mandated, by the way, that has to be in bond holdings, right? So when we're in negative rates, those bond holdings are essentially paying out zero or, or, right. or like barely anything, right? And so mm-hmm. the effect of that, you, you just can't, it's not sustainable for uh, that, that part of the population. You, you can't, do you think we can get into negative rates in the 10 year? Uh, in, in the in the U.S., uh, Noor? I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I, Ed, the last three years has broken we're, my we're, faith. We're in fantasy land here right. at this point. <laughs> yeah. So I, I honestly don't know. We're and in clown even, world. <laughs> right. and I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even venture a guess. Yeah, that's, no, it's, 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 it's crazy to me because, you know, like, you know, I, I have my own personal views on this. You know, I think the United States being the reserve currency of the world, um, they can't get away with monetary policies implemented in other parts of the world. Yes, For example, can. well, I mean, like when we're talking about going to negative rates, I mean, like in Japan, they've gone to negative. In the East, for a long time, they're, actually, they, they're they're going they're 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 back again. Uh, deposits is at negative, but again. in the United States, when you get to negative, right, that's going to be a big big issue, not just domestically but all around the world as well, right? Um, and that's why because I, it is the world reserve currency, right? And, and that's why that, that's that's the point that I'm getting at is that you know I when the ten if and when the ten gets to ten, right? And, you know, and and that's going to be you know like a it's going to be you know a big event if it does, but it, it's. To me, I feel like it's probably going to be the the beginning of the end of the United States as a reserve currency if they allow to the ten year Treasury note, which is essentially the benchmark. I mean, all pensioners um, have holdings <clears throat> within the ten year U.S. Treasury note, and if it goes a negative, meaning that they're not getting anything, it's going to create so much problems for that demographics, right? The, the demographics that needs savings the most. You know, I, I, I look at it this way. If, to go back to your, your point about us not being able to manipulate monetary policy around the world, 
the United States has a strategy of giving freedom. If you don't do what we say, we blow you the fuck up and then we give yeah. you freedom. <laughs> Drop some freedom on these bitches. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a fact. Whether it's yeah. a popular opinion or not, that is look a at fact. look at Gaddafi in twenty uh, what was that twenty twelve? And and let's 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 talk about that. Do you do you the news will tell you that the reason we went over there is because of weapons of mass destruction and the way he was treating his citizens, his, his right? people. Yeah, I right? think I think that was. I, I, well, yes. no, I, I know I know the, the the story very intimately. Right, it was basically because Gaddafi wanted to form uh, what would essentially be the euro, but for African countries. Right, yep. and he wanted to number one, number two, he wanted to back it on gold. Yes. something yeah. that in, in, in the United States ended in 1945 yep. so that they could essentially run yeah. the monetary system. And, and, it, it been... and they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> and and <laughs> additionally, a third point, he was going to be trading oil in it. So they're like, nope. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. And, and the United States being the reserve currency was like, he drops he, some freedom on you. <laughs> he, he's, he's got weapons of mass destruction. Let's go give him some freedom. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and, and free, freedom that they have now, right? Let's talk about the freedom that they have in Libya is basically overrun by warlords. There's very, there might be a puppet government on paper, but it's basically over, like run now by uh, warlords. <clears throat> well, they, they left they left a big vacuum zone. Uh, with a vacuum the, with of the power, nature yeah. pours a vacuum. Is they always warlords. do that. And then they'll install someone who is aligned with U.S. interests. Correct. And then, they'll, yeah. then they'll flood money into their economy, change their reserve to the U.S. dollar again. Yeah. And then people will be subservient to the U.S. government. Right. But to go back to your point about reserve currency, um, that's changing. Have you guys ever heard of the BRICS nations? Yep. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. They are developing their own method of commerce and trade backed by gold. And because they are collectively a very large economy. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Actually, they will be larger than the U.S. economy. Combined, yeah. Combined, yeah. Of course. Collectively. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, China alone already rivals the U.S. I mean, like, if you, right. you throw in, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, I mean, you just throw in India on that, mm-hmm. it's game over, right? You right. Know, and then Brazil, Russia, and India, they're all over in Asia. Right. And you you add that in. <laughs> there's, <Brazil>. already, <laughs> there's already a challenge to the U.S. reserve currency. And there's no way out of that because we're not going to drop freedom on people who can fight back. Exactly. We, only, yeah. we only give freedom to people who can't resist. Who can't fight, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean? Just just to re- retract what I said earlier, it was uh, China, India, and Russia that's over in Asia. And, and I completely agree with your point there. Um, and, and it has it aligns with a lot of my macro views and where I see things are going. Um, in the sense that I think China is really stepping up as a new world superpower, and they're doing everything that they China can. China and Russia together. Like, well, well, China, together let's say China, China and friends. You know, like you know, yeah. you can whoever allies with them, right? But you know, like through initiatives like the One uh, Belt One Road initiative, yep. uh, things like that. You know, having oil being priced in the yuan, like there's yuan oil futures now. You know, yep. um, you know, and they're essentially securing their. You know, financial system for the inevitable switch when they overtake the United States and then they have the majority of the world transacting in, in the currency of their choice, 
right? And and then to me, I really feel like it's like a big struggle between the United States holding on to what they can or have had, and fighting a new superpower that's inevitably gonna take over. I mean, like the, the United. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I didn't mean no, no. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, I I really feel like the United States is just you know like um, <clears throat> they're on their way out, right? And they're trying to do everything that they can to hold on to what's. And uh, what I what I can add to that is that um, the biggest uh, buyers of gold is China and Russia. Their central banks. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and traditionally speaking, like if you go back to like India you know, too. If you, if you go back to like nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, when the when the U.S transition to be the dominant superpower they were backed by gold right it's it's gold that allowed them to essentially um transact all world commerce in u.s dollars and have everybody fix their currency to u.s dollars because they were backed by physical commodity it's the same strategy china's applying now you know you have all the gold Mm. you make all the rules the golden rule right yeah um, it, so I mean, like I, the the way I see it is like it's it's an inevitable transition, but obviously the United States, you know, they they got a lot of pride, and I don't blame them. You know, they're they're gonna go down, they're, they're gonna go down fighting. Right? I'll tell you like this, man. <clears throat> China is going to become the superpower because China does not view others as less than. They view them as prey economic and tools but they don't view them as less than the united states has viewed the continent of africa as less than since it was a country and now china is spending massive amounts of money yeah to build the infrastructure to build, in, in to build africa to basically invest yeah absolutely to invest in africa yeah. and now you got and now you got 1.2 billion people who are dependent upon chinese investments on the african continent And China is going to be a powerhouse in getting goods and services off of the continent of Africa abroad. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. You got a lot of great black and Asian relations over there. (laughs) It's coming. It's coming, man. I'm telling you. Did you see the um, the video um, with, I believe it was the president of Ghana? And basically he told that he was on the podium with uh, Macron. And he basically told them straight up, like, we don't want to depend on you anymore. We have brilliant young Africans who are, who are going out to study, who are coming yeah. back to Africa rather yeah. than going to U.S., rather than going to Europe. And we're yeah. building our own shit. Fuck off, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, but basically, that was the point of it. You know what I mean? And right. background was just like, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know what's funny about that? We people don't realize that most of the gold in Europe came through the colonization of Africa, right? Oh, well, <laughs> and that Haiti pays five hundred million dollars a year to France for beating their ass in eighteen o four and kicking them off Hispaniola. And now there is a new player on the block who may not necessarily have the utmost respect for those nations and their people but will treat them with a level of fairness that they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And it's the sticking carrot kind of thing. They're dangling the carrot, not hitting you with the stick. Right. And slowly but surely, we're going to start seeing countries along the Southern Hemisphere moving towards Chinese goods, service, and money. Mm -hmm. And 
it's already too late for us to do anything about it. I mean, I think the only thing that we can do at this point, literally, and, and people are not going to like this, but <clears throat> we would need a digital currency. Mm-hmm. We would need a digital currency to do that. I, I honestly believe that a digital currency is the way out for America and our hyperinflation that's soon to be. Can you take some time to kind of um, expand on that? Like how that would happen, you know, what the, the steps would be? Okay, well, right now, America does quantitative easing by pumping and injecting money into the financial ecosystem. Magic! Right, <laughs> and it's backed by nothing, right? Exactly, it's backed by the faith in that system. It's not even backed by that. It's backed by bullets and bombs. There you go. There you go. Keep it real. Got some freedom on these bitches. Right. right. You know what I mean? But Bitcoin does quantitative hardening. It's the other way around. Yeah. So the stock to flow changes in the favor of the person who is holding Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Every time we have a having. If you want to, once the system breaks, we wouldn't need to move back to a system that's based on gold or based on silver or based on something that is tangible and scarce. Almost like there's a reason we've been doing this since the dawn of human history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the reason that people moved away from gold is because as it became more valuable, it became less divisible. Well, and, and the excuse that they give us is that, well, okay, uh, in, in hard times, people want to withdraw because there was a time at which you could exchange one U.S. dollar for its comp- uh, its uh, comparative amount in gold, right? So when times right. got hard, people were like, fuck the U.S. dollar, I want my gold. And that's the excuse they give us. But in reality, it was for control. Yeah, well, and, right. and that, that hindered the debt-based system anyways. I mean, like, if you print more money when it's backed by gold, that, that money that's being printed is just going to be exchanged for gold, which – would hurt the gold reserve right so you well so it's a very simple solution just don't like have it be backed by gold but you can't withdraw it in terms of gold well i mean did, did it nixon in 71 said we're temporarily suspending the conversion of dollars to gold i mean like that 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 quote uh, of if tem- i recall that was temporary but i could be wrong temporary okay. temporary suspension you know has lasted yeah, for like the, a good, the, the 40, last year good 40 years right 40 year temporary suspension <laughs> so hey, hey hey guess what man one day they could remove that temporary suspension <laughs> You know, but I think that that's actually why why I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mar, but one more point to, to throw in there. But um, you know, there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories on why Kennedy was assassinated. But if you look at one of the bills he was pushing, Order 11110, was actually to do just that to start to shift the basis back to hard assets um, mm-hmm. and scarce resources. Mm-hmm. That is that's sound money. Yeah. You don't have to worry about what the value is going to be tomorrow or a year or 10 years or even a hundred years. Correct. You know what I mean? And an additional by scarcity. Well, and an additional benefit that um, I've heard is, is that the, uh, the rate at which it mines uh, is roughly tracking inflation. Right. Right. What? Two, 3%, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, inflation, inflation, where? Inflation in the U.S. or are we talking about like inflation in like well, Africa here? Just, just well, okay, fine. Like it's not going to be Zimbabwe inflation, okay? Like, <laughs> a billion percent or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, 
Well, Noir, um, I just wanted to, you know, r remind you we're coming upon that two hour mark. I know you said that that was the amount of time you, uh, you were comfortable with and we're had a great conversation. It's easy to get caught up, but I respect your time. We respect our guests. So I just want to throw that out there. If, if you have any, you know, closing things you'd like to say or way to wrap this uh, up. Well, Leigh, if you have any, questions. Uh, any questions that you want to ask, uh, now's probably a good time to, to ask Noir. Uh, on I, I do actually. Um, what's your research strategy for Bitcoin? Because um, you mentioned um, earlier during um, the, your discussion, um, you like to research before you buy. Um, mm -hmm. I have one Bitcoin I'm looking at. It's called Tezos, T-O-S, and the symbol is X-T-Z. Yep. So I just want to know what research steps I should take to research that before. First thing I would do is read their white paper. Okay. White paper. What are they? Now, I'm saying this because I, I hold Tezos, okay? You hold Tezos already? Oh, okay. Yeah, I hold Tezos. Read the white paper to see what they're about, right? Okay. Um. One of the things that I like about Tezos is that when you're baking it, you get interest. So if you're if you're baking it in a wallet or staking it, uh, depending on who's doing the baking for you, you can get five to seven percent interest on your Tezos, wow. right? Nice. But one of the things that really fucks with me about Tezos is you can't go anywhere to find the max supply. Okay, and then it goes back to that same discussion we we're having about the US dollar. There's no max supply. And as more enters the ecosystem, the value of it goes down. Mm -hmm. um, do I hold it? Yep, I sure do. Am I baking it, trying to collect interest? I sure am. I have a nice piece of change in Tezos. And once it hits my target, I'm going to cash it all out for Bitcoin. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> because that, that's just the ultimate goal for me. <laughs> to keep it real. Uh, Right. When you, you know. plan to cash out, because I saw it online, it says it might hit 75 in 2024 or 2025. You know what, man? Don't don't ever take those projections okay. as law. And, and Wale, it's the same thing in stocks, too. Like, we're, we're, mm -hmm. we're very critical of the analysts. You know, we, we said earlier on this podcast where, you know, uh, if, if Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan are telling you to buy something, get the fuck out of that thing. Especially Kramer says it. Kramer is the best uh, inverse indicator, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But um, just just keep in mind the same thing for cryptos, right? If, if we have these analysts, right? Who are analysts? They're just dudes like us, right? And they, they just happen to have a blog or, or on something uh, that gets them a well, even, even worse, man. A lot of bank analysts don't even have any skin in the game. No, they're, they're, I, well, they're, they're, I remember we, we had a conversation. We, we had a conversation with uh, one, if you remember this, Chen. And she didn't even know how central bank in, uh, interest rates affect like the currencies, and that was her job, <laughs> the bank. Well, well, I mean, my my point here is that you can have many I mean, analysts is just an uh, just a person with an opinion, right? But it, it worse is that there no respect for any analysts, especially bank analysts, is that they're not even allowed to have any skin in the game, right? So, so why how can you take an opinion from somebody who is just throwing you saying giving you magical numbers? when you know they they don't even have any stake in it you know so uh, just just be cautious with that i mean like well and again like to, to draw the parallel between us it's like we're not financial advisors we will never tell you hey buy this do this with your money we can say i did this and for this reasons right mm -hmm. yeah um uh, on, on that um we'll just 
close it out from here. So, um, Noir, I would like to say uh, thank you very much, brother, for, for coming on and doing the show with us. A very, I, le- I learned quite a bit about cigars today. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have a place to start for sure. Yeah, de- definitely, definitely. And um, just a quick plug, uh, Danny and I are going to be on uh, Cigars and Cryptos yes. uh, on Great. the 25th at 6 p.m., so you can you guys can catch us on uh, Noir's podcast uh, talking about um, more crypto stuff, uh, more you know Ghost Squawk AI projects that we're doing related to cryptocurrencies and whatnot. Yeah, so guys, please make sure you check out his um, experience, the Cigars and Crypto uh, podcast. You're, um, you're, you you said you're available on um, what, what was that platform? That I'm on iTunes. Anchor? I'm on Anchor, Anchor iTunes, yeah. Spotify, iHeartRadio. I'm everywhere. Make sure you check them out, guys. And and very quickly, Noir, if if anybody's watching and they wanna you know they wanna have a cigar with you, how can they reach out to you? You can catch me on Twitter at Invest Noir. I N V E S T N O I R. Uh, I am on Instagram at Cigars and Crypto, and uh, just reach out, man. Visit me online at uh, CigarsandCrypto.com. You can put your contact information at the bottom on the contact page, and uh, I'm very responsive. I'll get back to you. All right. With that being said, we'll pop a bottle. Cheers, Appreciate brother. Appreciate your time, man. Cheers, cheers, cheers to time. you, Mark. Thanks Cheers for coming on. Thank you. A lot of great content. Really value your time. So really appreciate that, man. Much love, brother. No problem, man. Hey, man, you guys be safe, all right? Take care. Take care.